Uh, the rest of you can turn to Luke chapter 3. We'll be in verses, uh, verse 2, kind of the end of verse 2 and to verse 18 today. And year after year, um, as the as the the Old Testament closed, those that 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 in that culture kind of had their finger on the pulse of current events, kind of looking for signs, uh, prognostications, uh, and false alarms uh, abounded. Many false messiahs came up, uh, and yet the age between uh, the Old Testament and the New uh, grew long. And 400 years passed, uh, 400 years of expectation, 400 years of, of any day now, any, any year now, we will, we will experience the return of Elijah, the one that they look for as the precursor, and then the Messiah will follow and restore the kingdom of Israel to the glory days of David and Solomon, and year after year, just kind of pregnant with expectation, they stand ready. They stand ready to receive him. They, they stand ready to follow him. But are they ready? What does it mean to be ready for the Messiah? They were ready for the Messiah they expected, but the Messiah that they got didn't exactly line up with the Messiah that they expected. And, and were they ready? Were they ready for Jesus? Are we ready for Jesus? I think about I think about my own heart, guys. <laughs> I think about my own, my own uh, ability to, to say and do foolish things to people that I, I love. I think about my own, my own ability to, to stumble over the same crack in the sidewalk over and over and over again. There's a sense in which, yes, <laughs> I like think the weight on my heart means I'm ready and makes me ready and makes me eager for, for the Messiah, for, the, for God's redemption. But I know there's another thing going on inside me that, that means I'm not yet ready and that there's more to be done repairing my heart from sin's damage. And so let's look at how John calls us. And as he sings this song which he didn't write, but was written about him. And he doesn't actually sing it. Luke kind of sings it about him. As he sings this song, it's a song of readiness. So Luke 3, starting kind of at the end of verse 2 there. Let me find it. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Even now the acts, oh, for I tell you rather, that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. 
Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also come to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in 2015, uh, President Obama visited the nation of Kenya, and when we were there, uh, in first in 2018, I think he went back in 2018 as well, but they had spent millions of dollars the, to update and to remodel and to, to redo the security in and around Jomo Kenyatta Airport there in Nairobi, and there were new roads, there are new uh, security checkpoints, there, there's just there's all of this this stuff, not just new roads, but new landscaping all over the city. You could see it uh, even far away from the airport, anywhere that they thought he might have a chance of laying his eyes on the city of Nairobi. They, they redid everything around it to make it new and fresh and beautiful. There were there were on the day of his days of his visit. There were flags everywhere. The buses were wrapped in American flag. Like, you know how they wrap buses and graphics and stuff. Like all of that stuff went on. There were murals that are still there to be seen um, that are very beautiful and cool looking. Um, and as a private citizen, he did go back in 2018, and they built a 3.5 million dollar upgrades to their convention center. There were actual hotels built for the occasion. Uh, each of that happened for those two trips, millions of dollars were spent, thousands of man hours were put into the preparations, and he was there for just two days. All of that for just two-day visit by someone important. John's song, this song that we read, this, this passage from Isaiah, uh, this song is a song of preparation. This song is a song of building new roads and making ways straight and secure and beautiful and leveling hills and raising up low places and easing the passage of the king into the city. 
And, and, and the king, uh, before he arrived in the city, would often send in his advance party to make sure everything was secure and proper and done according to his standards. And, and John's mission in the world is he is that advance party. He is the one coming before the king, making sure that the way, the route that the king is going to take into the city is prepared. Verses 4 and 5, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked places shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. That this is a metaphor here for preparing the route the king will take into the city. And no blind curves in the road where, where enemies could wait no valleys that he had to pass through where ambushes could take place. Uh, no roads that, that he had, he had roads to ride on that wouldn't jostle his horse or his carriage or however it is that he, he came into the city. Like that, that really what this is about, it's about the Messiah and the hearts of his people. It's about your heart. It's about my heart. And it's a, it's a call on us then to prepare to receive this Messiah, receive the one who is, is coming into the city. It's a call to have eyes opened and hearts transformed. It's a call to hear and, and respond to this most wonderful news that the Messiah has come. It kind of starts off this way, the, the voice, and John is kind of referred to as this prophetically, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And of course, John is, is doing his ministry from the wilderness, from the, from the place outside of, you know, in the boonies, right? And in a way, you can kind of think of, John is, is calling the nation of Israel out of the promised land and back into this wilderness wandering, right? Where they wandered for 40 years so that they can go back into the promised land under the banner of their new king, under the banner of the Messiah. And that promised land isn't, isn't a geographical region, but it's a, it's, a, it's a land of true promise, an eternal promise. And, and as we look at this this morning, remember this is a song of preparation. And so the call for us then, as we celebrate Advent and as we look forward to next week, is to continue to do that work of preparation. So what does that call involve in this passage? It calls us to prepare by repenting of sin. It calls us to prepare by reflecting his character. It calls us to prepare by receiving the good news. And so look, let's look at these three calls that we have from this passage. The call to prepare by repenting of sin. So it's, it's, so kind of imagine if it kind of helps you put us in, in some sort of perspective. John is, is getting ready to do the Christmas Eve homily. And, and all the friends and families have gathered from the community. And everyone is, has come to church. And, and, and they are ready for the celebrations. They are ready for the joy. They are ready for the presents. They are ready for all of this, this, this good stuff to look forward to. And here's how John the Baptist begins his Christmas Eve service. That day uh, on, uh, in verse 7, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized for them, by him, Christmas Eve service, you brood of vipers, 
You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. <laughs> Peter Cartwright uh, was a, a 19th century uh, Methodist preacher. And once he got to preach for President Andrew Jackson, and before the service, Jackson's people came up to him and said, hey, you know, don't say anything that's kind of out of line. Don't do anything to embarrass the president. And so here's how Peter Cartwright started his sermon to Andrew Jackson. He said this, I understand Andrew Jackson is here. I've been requested to be guarded in my remarks. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. Uh, kind of uncomfortable laughter, maybe shock, kind of like what we just experienced there. Like, here's how Andrew Jackson responded to that after the service. He said, came up to him, he said, sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. No one ever accused John the Baptist of, of preaching ear-tickling sermons, right? He cared enough to confront he cared enough to call, that, to, 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 to let people know and to point out that our, our hearts are, are rocky, uneven ground. And that, that sin, sin in our hearts looms like, like mountains, that, that pride at spiritual accomplishments that aren't even ours, ours looms like a mountain in my heart. Anger at, at the person who just now in some way threatened my idol looms like a mountain in my heart coveting the promotion I I just got passed over for, jealousy at my friend's popularity, whatever it is, sin is in our heart looming like mountains. And there there are trouble spots and there are weaknesses that sink like valleys. That there's self pity at interrupted plans loss and grief that that just seem to wrap around your ankles and frees you in place. There's the crookedness and corruption of a wandering heart. Like, why do I do it? Why do I sell my allegiance to the world so easily for, for the promise of ease and comfort, for the promise of security, for the promise and the rewards of greed? Why do I do that? Because my heart is, is rocky and crooked. Repentance then is the means by which the Lord smooths the rockiness and the crookedness and the low places of our hearts. Verse eight, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. One of the commentators I read this week said that repentance is the on-ramp of salvation. And I, I love that. That if we want God to save, we must turn away from our sin First things first, right? We, we need the spiritual preparation of the heart. We need, we need the grace of repentance. And I've, I've mentioned this many times before that repentance itself is a grace that we need the Messiah to shine the light of his truth and the light of his spirit into the darkness of our hearts so that we can see our sin. We need the Messiah's presence in the rocky, crooked heart that's, that, that beats in my chest to, to show me what's really there. Repentance is a grace. Repentance is a gift. If we want to get ready for what God wants to do in our lives, then we need to turn away from our sin. 
we prepare by repenting of our sin, John also causes people to be preparing by reflecting his character. That in, the, in that day, the baptism that John was going about doing in, in that place and in that time was, was sort of a religious trend at the time. And it's kind of important for us to understand that what John was doing in, in his baptism uh, is, is functionally and qualitatively different than what we do when we baptize uh, covenant children or, or believers into our church, that it, it is different from our sacrament of baptism, that is the new covenant sacrament. Uh, the baptism of John the Baptist was very much more uh, as a, a washing and cleansing rite. In fact, when Gentile proselytes would join the, the Jewish faith, would become worshipers of the covenant God and want to be admitted into the covenant people of God, uh, they would undergo this, uh, this washing ritual of baptism that would cleanse them from the, the ritual impurity. Remember that word? We've talked a lot about that in the last few weeks. This ritual impurity, this corruption that sin brings about uh, in their life. And that's why John, John says in verse 8, Do not begin to say to yourselves, We will have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Imagine John the Baptist preaching out in the wilderness of Israel. What is there lots and lots of? <laughs> stones, right? That, that, that God can, can raise up from these millions upon millions of stones all the children for Abraham that he wants. That it's not, your, it's not your religious heritage. It's not your religious tradition or your religious background or your religious practice that you cannot flee with mere religious exercises. In other words, taking part in the religious trend of the day, baptism, whatever John was offering, taking part in that does not mean that you... Uh, are ready to receive the Messiah. That if religious exercises exercised in a religious culture then aren't enough, what is? I mean, we, we go to conferences, we read books, we participate in, in, in this, this church movement and this, this uh, you know, kind of music and we, we do all this kind of stuff and we have our quiet times and if that stuff it alone for, in its own self isn't enough to prepare my rocky heart for the Messiah, what is? True repentance leading to fruit bearing. There's a sense in which repentance, true repentance, leads to freedom, which then leads to action. More than, more than just simply being sorry for our sin, it means turning away from sin and turning towards a lifestyle that then reflects the character of the coming Messiah. He kind of, he, John unpacks this and explains this for the crowd, right? In verse 10, he says, the crowd asked him, well, then what should we do? What shall we do? What does, what does repentant living look like? Three representative examples he gives. The first one is sharing your possessions with the poor. And in other words, it's not simply admitting that you're selfish at heart, right? It's not simply recognizing the selfishness that uh, is, is in your heart, but giving as much as you can to the poor. The people listening to him weren't rich people. Many of them only had two tunics. 
And yet he says, give one of them to the one who has none. The last two examples, the examples of tax collectors and soldiers, are basically boils down to don't leverage your power for personal gain. If you're in a position of power, don't use that power over others in order to enhance and enrich and ease your life. Don't, don't exploit others. Put others above yourself because, because that's what Jesus does. Jesus came not to be served, right? But to serve, if anyone has the right to leverage his power over others, it's the one who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. Our call is to gospel representation before it is for personal gain. A deeper repentance that goes to the inward attitudes of the heart is what John is calling us for, calling us to. It's about leveling a lumpy heart, straightening a crooked heart. It's, it's no accident that these three examples all have to do with money, right? Uh, that seems to be kind of the barometer that, that, that what we do with our money kind of reveals where our priorities are, that our budgets, our bank accounts are, are leading indicators of our, our priorities and, and which can be a leading indicator of our, our spiritual health. Forget about money for a minute. Let me ask you a humbling question. Where is it most difficult for you to reflect the character of the Messiah? Let me ask it, let me ask it a little bit different way. In what areas of your life are you the least like Jesus? I told you it was, it was kind of a humbling question. And just, just remember this before you get mad at me. You've had to live with that question now for about five seconds. I've been living with it all week. So uh, how do you use your words? Employees tend to grumble about the boss. Husbands and wives grumble about each other. Children grumble about their parents. Teachers grumble about their students. How do you use your words? How do you use your eyes? How do you consume media? Where do you let your gaze rest and fall? And what... What desires does that awaken in you? And what desires do you let control you? What idol is the idol factory of your heart most often cranking out? Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. (laughs) La, 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 la. There's a gracious warning here. Paul Koistra, uh, who was head of M&A in, in, the, in the Presbyterian Church in America, said this, you cannot be full of self and be full of Christ. You cannot be full of self and full of Christ at the same time. Even as John encourages an active struggle against sin, he reminds and encourages all of God's people that their hope is coming in the one called Christ. Yes, God is angry at sin. His righteous wrath is pointed at our sin. But he has sent his son to gather his people into the safety of his mercy. 
John's prophetic call to the people is one of hard examination, struggling against the badness of the bad news, making room for the goodness of the good news. That's what Luke calls the message of John's song. So we, re- we prepare by repenting of sin. We rep- prepare by reflecting his character. We also prepare by receiving the good news because none of that's the end of the story. Verse 18, I thought this was just wonderful and, and fascinating. So with many other exhortations, he preached what to the people? Good news. That this is good news. Good news. The good news is that, that Jesus is coming. The good news is that John the Baptist isn't the end of the story. He's just the advanced party saying the king is over the hill and he's coming and prepare for that. John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming and the strap of his sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit (laughs) and fire. Which sounds more comfortable to you? As people wondered at the preaching of John, what did John do? He pointed them to Jesus, to the one that is greater than himself, that, that there is a, a, a kind of a difference in mission between John and Jesus, but that John was the greatest prophet in the Bible because he was the first to preach the good news that the kingdom of God had arrived, that the Messiah was here. Because he urged God's people to be ready and to receive it through repentance. Repentance is necessary because only people who are sorry for their sin will admit that they need a savior. But forgiveness for those sins doesn't come through my action of repenting. Forgiveness only comes through Christ and his cross. Salvation isn't dependent upon me doing the activity of repenting. Salvation is dependent upon God opening my heart, making it alive to the sin that is in there, calling me to repentance and me responding to it. All of that done by his grace through faith. Faith comes through through his gift. Salvation comes through the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me, let me close with this, this conversion story, the, the story of, of C.S. Lewis's conversion, actually. Uh, from Surprised by Joy, he tells this story. And, and uh, as a kid, C.S. Lewis's name was Clive, which is unfortunate, and he thought so too. Clive hated to be called Clive, so his friends called him Jack, but he was, he was Irish. A lot of people don't know that. Born in Belfast uh, in 1898, and his family went to church. Uh, they were a church-going family. They worshiped in the Church of England. Uh, but at the age of 15, he became an atheist, and he, he became a committed atheist. And he said this. He said, I was very angry at God for not existing, which is kind of his very witty way of just expressing how he was feeling at the time. And he started to view his religion as a chore. And he maintained his atheism up until 1929 
when he then took the step and became a theist, which means he just, he kind of believed in God, but in God in general and not, not any specific religion. But he met friends. And after having many, many talks with those friends about who Jesus is and what he has done, and, and, and finally he became a Christian in 1931. And he actually became a Christian while, while taking a bus ride and sitting on top on the top level of one of those kind of famous double-decker buses that they had there in England. He says this of his conversion. Remember, I had always wanted above all things not to be interfered with. I had wanted, mad wish, he says, to call my soul my own. I had been far more anxious to avoid suffering than, than to achieve delight. I had always aimed at limited liabilities. I had, I had pretty well known that my ideal of virtue would never, be, would never be allowed to lead me into anything intolerably painful. I would be reasonable. Total surrender, the absolute leap in the dark were demanded. The reality with which no treaty can be made was upon me. The demand was not even all or nothing. I think that that stage had been passed. On the bus top, when I unbuckled my armor and the snowman began to melt, now the demand was simply all. The message of John's song is that the Messiah is here to interfere with your life. That the, the gospel is here, the kingdom of God has arrived to interfere and to mess with your stuff, to reorder your priorities, to, to change you from the inside out, to, to, to open your eyes to a true truth about yourself that could lead you to despair if it also didn't at the same time open your eyes to the true truth about the Messiah, which is that he has come to live the life that we could never live and die the death that we should have died and that he was killed on the cross and raised on the third day as an indication that God was pleased with his sacrifice and accepted his substitutionary atonement in our place and that in him we have hope in him we have riches of the glories of the kingdom of God in heaven forever that in him we have our sinfulness covered up by his righteousness in him we have freedom from the guilt and shame and bondage that sin puts our hearts in in him we have all of these things this one who is coming this baby to be born this messiah whose way we are called to prepare freely by faith by grace it's a gift if that doesn't mess with your stuff what will my urging to you and to my own heart is to let it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace to us. We thank you for the mercy and grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you for 
your willingness to give your only son for our sake and for our benefit so that you might gather your people into the safety of your mercy. We thank you for Jesus's willingness to be sent and to be obedient and to be humble to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we pray that, that even now as we approach this table, which is set with the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, we would, we would come eagerly awaiting, eager, eagerly anticipating, eagerly preparing for his coming again when he will finally and completely gather his people into the safety of his mercy and we will live with him forever. Lord, we do pray uh, for all of these things and we pray that, that you would send us out from this place different than when we came because we've met with you and had an encounter with your mercy uh, that changes everything. We pray that you would be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.